0: tuning in to This Podcast is a Bad Idea, your one-stop shop for pop culture quirks. I'm Fru, he's Murph, and every episode we have a new selection of goodies to discuss on the agenda. Today's main topic is going to be Scott Pilgrim. So
1: what's
2: your podcast about?
1: You're listening to... to This is a bad idea. It's a bad idea.
0: How are you Murphy? You ready to decompress a little?
1: Hello again, friends of a friend. We're here to to talk about Scott Pilgrim, um not just the movie, the phenomenon, the comics, the 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 thing from the past. Mhm. But before that, we've got to decompress a little.
0: Yeah, just just a little a little a little a little appetizer. Mhm.
1: If you will. Just kind of going to shoot the shit a bit.
0: Decompression time.
1: Yeah, just a a little bit. I I hear you've been watching some old sitcoms. I have. um, You know, I've been feeling really, and maybe it's a result of of our main topic, but I've been really been feeling nostalgic for the before times. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what I really miss? I miss programming Hmm. blocks. Same. And it's like, you know, oh my gosh. it's kind of that thing where like streaming is ultimately like the pros of streaming outweigh the cons, but the cons yeah. are things that getting rid of things I'm like, I don't know, like the tactile feel, like just browsing isn't the same, mm-hmm. binging isn't the same. So what I did is yeah. I picked out four sitcoms from the past. I picked a sitcom from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And it's like, I'm not going to binge any of these. Instead, I'm going to watch, like, one episode at a time, like, in that sequence.
2: Oh,
0: I like this. And I'm going to
1: do that every Tuesday, and I'm going to do that every Thursday. (laughs) And then on Wednesdays, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I watch an episode of X-Files.
0: These are shows that you've never seen before. Like,
1: Like, I've caught, like, an episode, but I've never really, like, been of them. I couldn't describe, like, characters to you. Okay. So, and I tried to pick things that were like notable from each decade and ones that have like very sort of different premises. Mm-hmm. Um so for the 60s I picked The Adams Family. Nice. From the 70s I picked All in the Family. <laughs> for the 80s, I'm sensing a theme. For the 80s I picked Cheers. Okay. And for the 90s I picked Friends. Okay. And it's just been it, it's gotten me what I wanted. It it recaptured that feeling of like you know, you just sort of watch one show after another rather than one episode after another.
0: You get what you get.
1: Yeah. And just kind of like, like the Addams Family I'm going to run out of immediately because it has two seasons. The rest of these all have 10. Mm-hmm. But I just really didn't know what 60 sitcom I wanted to pick because they're all very gimmicky. <laughs> you know, it's like Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, right? Gilligan's Island. Um, but I wanted to pick Adam's Family, you know, mostly because of like the Wednesday discourse and things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, what what is what is it about this show that has captured the imaginations? And I don't know why it never occurred to me, but the original Adams Family sitcom has very intense Muppet Show energy in its like joke structure. The, the humor, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Where it's just, like, the gag is that there is something strange. It's, like, Gomez will be, like, oh, let me get, um... (laughs) Gomez is, like, oh, let me get my doubles partner for tennis. And the doubles partner is a gorilla. And that's the joke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I like that. Yeah, no,
1: it's, like, there are a lot of very just... I don't know, like, the uh, the actors sell it. Um, And it also made me realize what's been wrong with a lot of with that lens, what's been wrong with a lot of modern Adams family adaptations in that the, what? the Adamses don't feel, um, persecuted,
2: mm, you know? Okay. Cause okay. in that, I see where you're in going. that
1: recent animated one, they're like being chased by the townspeople and things. And it's like, you know, that's the equivalent of doing a modern Muppet show where people are like, there are freaks in this theater. We need to burn oh. it down. i guess that begs the question which of these shows in your programming roster has the best theme song um well all in the family doesn't really have a theme song but okay (laughs) i guess um it comes down to cheers or friends i think cheers cheers is more thematic to the show because yeah. sometimes you want to yeah. go where everybody knows your name.
0: <laughs> and it's evocative. I immediately had it in my head.
1: Yeah. Whereas, like, um, I guess I'll skip ahead to Friends. I was going to be like, Friends theme song doesn't, it's really catchy. It's a really catchy song. But I don't know if it's mm-hmm. fit for the show. Because, you know, it's like, yeah. no one ever told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. Uh, something, something, da Um, And we'll get into this when we get to the main topic, but it's like, you know, I'm 30 years late to the party on this, but I'm like, boy, (laughs) these 20 year olds have massive apartments that are very furnished. (laughs) None of them are poor. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's just, you know, Friends has very good comedic timing with a lot of its bits. And I do Mm -hmm. buy this as a friend group. Um, Yeah. I'm only 10 episodes in. Maybe you've seen a lot more Friends than I have. Probably. Can you explain to me what Joey's narrative purpose is? Because he's the only one where I'm not sure 100% what he contributes, other than being so, the between point between Ross and Chandler.
0: So, here's the thing, is that in retrospect, Joey gives a lot of male Phoebe energy.
1: Okay. He's
0: kind of he's kind of goofy. He he's a little bit of a jack of all trades as far as the plot goes. Mm-hmm. He could be up to anything as long as it goes back to occasionally acting. Mm-hmm. And so and that's kind of what happens. Like there is going to reach a point where it's like, well, what if one of the friends ends up with Joey? And then the show's like, wait, no, that's weird. Is that is don't, it Monica? <laughs> I'm not gonna tell, yeah, you'll just have to be frustrated like the rest of us <laughs> okay, okay <laughs> you've gone you've you've set off on your journey, and now you get to suffer through will they won't they?
1: There's a lot of will they won't they? between this cheers and x files there's a lot of will they won't they?
0: <laughs> you've chosen a lot of tension uh, to subject yourself to
1: it cheers is just kind of de facto like good. I don't really know, you know. It's kind of one of those things where a good sitcom cast are the ones where you can drop them into any situation and each character has something to contribute. Yeah. That's kind of my issue with friends so far is that mm-hmm. it's a huge, like, main cast. It's six characters they're and very, all of them yeah, need a and plot they're all per very episode. specified. Yeah. Whereas cheers It che- just turns into snippets. Cheers can be like, okay, this is the Sam episode, this is a Diane episode. There's not really a lot of B plots going on.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, and I've called this out on Twitter. Cheers and Friends have the same pilot episode premise of...
0: Do they? I haven't watched Cheers in a long a, time. I don't even think I've watched the
1: pilot. A woman is abandoned by her fiancé moments before their wedding, and she winds up at some drink-based establishment, a bar or a coffee <laughs> shop, where she ingratiates herself to an, an existing friend group, she establishes a will they won't they relationship with the tallest member of the friend group, and she gets a job <laughs> at said establishment.
0: Oh man, oh that's good. We c- we can go down that road a- at some point.
1: And then All in the Family is very different from modern sitcoms, even different from The Adams Family before it. Uh, are you familiar with All in the mm-hmm. Family? That's like the Archie Bunker. Yeah,
0: it's like a as a base premise.
1: Yeah. Well, the base premise is greatest generation World War Two veteran contending with his yuppie, um, like '70s hippie daughter yeah. and uh, son-in-law. Yeah. And it's just a really a lot of like one or two act plays set in their living room of them just arguing about premises. And
0: <laughs> and it's that that's they got one joke. <laughs> they kind of do so. As it's, far as I know, that the whole show is, like, these kids. I mean, kids. it's
1: got ten seasons, so I don't know if they, like, branch out beyond that, I would hope. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those things where it's very interesting as a historical artifact, because it is from the 70s, and there's talking about, like, things like race, sexuality, that sort of stuff. Like, the very first episode right. has, like, Archie Bunker being like, eh, the black man's had more opportunities than I have. Now, there were no million oh, men. Oh, God. There was no million men marching for me in Washington. Ah! I didn't need no that's, that's um, affirmative stressful. action to get my job. Ah, and then his you wife You know what said, else
0: starts like that? <laughs> American History X!
1: <laughs> and it's like one of those things where I watch it and it's like, wait, hold on, this show was really influential and popular. How are we still having these arguments like 50 years later? <laughs> it's almost
0: like things go in cycles.
1: The whole fifth episode is about like Archie being afraid that one of his daughter's friends are gay uh, and then you skip ahead 20 years later to Friends, where the first episode yeah. is Ross being like, oh, my, my wife left me for a woman.
0: Right, right. And that's supposed to be um emasculating a little bit. But the show overall, if I remember correctly,
1: is actually pretty accepting of the fact that his ex is a lesbian. The second episode, they're at an, like, an obgen, because she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just... <laughs> What'd you call it?
1: Oh, did I... You know what? I've only ever seen it written.
0: You're gonna hate it. You just say the you just say the acronym OBGYN. Oh, okay. I think it's, it's, it's an be- obstetrician
1: gynecologist. I'll I'll keep that in mind for later. Uh, you just file that away. I don't know how useful that is to you. An OBGYN. <laughs> Yeah, but all in the family is interesting because I'll go through most of the episodes, checked out, and then it all builds to like one single perfect punchline that knocks me on my ass.
0: Ooh. Okay.
1: Cuz in that in that episode where where Archie's having the gay panic, he um <laughs> realizes that one of his drinking buddies who's like this this former linebacker is gay mm-hmm. and he's arm wrestling oh. him and he's like, "You know, Chuck, they they have there's these awful rumors about you. Well, they're saying They're saying, and the guy who looks like, you know, uh, like Robert Redford, like baby Robert Redford, just like this grizzled chin. He's just looking back at him with the most shit-eating grin. And he's like, Archie, they're right. (laughs) (laughs) That killed me.
0: (laughs) Okay. I don't know how you're selling me on All in the Family, but you are.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's worth, like, a look, particularly the very first, like, pilot episode. I think it's a very good pilot. All of these have very good pilots.
0: Okay, okay. So, well... And, and on a scale of 9 to 10, uh, 1 to 10, how how is X-Files?
1: You know, X-Files never really... I've only ever seen the one episode, and it's, like, the the infamous one. The, the Mother mm, Under the Bed episode. Okay. Because my dad was like, oh, we should watch that. That episode's messed up. <laughs> um, Some good bonding. X-Files also has a very good pilot. I'm seven episodes Mm -hmm. in on it, mostly because I've got a companion podcast. I'm listening to it called Fox Mulder is a Maniac. Nice. You know what? It's like never really watched any sort of monster of the week show. Closest thing I ever came to was like CSI. (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised that they very immediately like confirmed, no, everything is real. There's nothing up in the air. Because I thought it was going to be like, oh, who's right? Is Mulder right or Scully right? No, Mulder's always right. It's just Scully's (laughs) never in the room when supernatural things are (laughs) happening. I like David Duchovny. I don't really know why he got slotted with the, um, like, he's a robot who can't act. I don't know. He's
0: great in Zoolander. (laughs) He is. Well, speaking of 90s sitcoms, Mm. Murph, I've also been watching things, tuning in, if you will. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm
1: gonna just. Are you gonna send you a share thing. me what I think you're gonna share? Who me? knows? Maybe you know exactly what it is. Is this the yeah the the topic du jour of the internet this weekend? Yep.
0: This is this is nothing forever on Twitch AI generated. It's the internet's newest Twitch Plays Pokemon, where the chat is generating the Seinfeld.
1: Yeah. It's a, well, it's like, I forget, I don't know how it exactly works. It's procedurally animated in some um, program I've never heard of. Right,
0: right. So I have an IndieWire article. In one minute doses, the show uses AI tools like GPT-3 and Doll e all trained on classic 90s sitcom scripts to generate miniature scenes of four different characters. Oh, I I love this. I mean, like, even the the article brings up, did you ever stop and think this might be one big cosmic joke? Asks AI Elaine. Well, I don't think it's all necessarily all, you know, AI George trails off. I know, says AI Elaine, a trace of resignation in her robotic tone. I just mean, like, why are we here? To tell jokes, obviously, George replies. (laughs) Every time I open this stream, it's just an existential nightmare.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've seen the clip of like the George. Well, they don't all, they don't have the right names. It's like Fred, Larry, something, but, (laughs) but the George equivalent is making something in a microwave while the Jerry equivalent is talking about how he doesn't believe in God. (laughs) And then he starts (laughs) to like walk towards the couch, but his legs move and his the rest of him Mm. doesn't. It's one of those things where my Twitter feed is all AI art is is bad. It's taking jobs from real artists and things. And then like five minutes later, here's me and the bestie. Here's AI generated Seinfeld.
0: (laughs) It's such a weird double-sided sword, honestly. I can see how it would be a terrible thing for an artist an indie artist to have their art stolen by an ai bot but at the same time we're doing really weird other things in other realms it's really conflicting
1: mm-hmm. at points well have you seen the article like the uh the quote from the creator of this saying that he like legitimately thinks this is the future of entertainment
0: no and now i'm a little now i'm a little concerned mm-hmm.
1: yeah and there's a little, and little there's concerned. the rub
0: we're just getting a little too into um high concept sci-fi that I'm not I'm not down for. But yeah, that's that's uh that's Nothing Forever. Oh no. Okay, hold on. Nothing Forever has a Patreon. Mm. They literally have two tiers. One is 4.99 Keep Us Alive tier, and then there's $999 Sometimes you're in the show tier. And it's huh. sold out.
1: I don't like that. Sold out to how many I'm people? I'm hoping one. Wait, no. <laughs> The Patreon stat says he's only making $660 a month. So, something's fishy here. Something is fishy. There's
0: 156 patrons, but they're making $660 a month. Hmm. It, even the write-up is, look, I'm not advocating for this tier. It'd probably be stupid to buy it. But if you go for it, we'll create a character based on your appearance. And sometimes you'll appear in the show. We'll let you know what it's going to happen. It'll take some time to be created, but it'll happen. Hmm... Hmm.
1: Uh, well, then, I think that's enough to make me feel mightily decompressed. I don't know
0: if I feel decompressed, but I do feel de-something.
1: <laughs> well, let's move on to the uh, the next segment we have, which is the show and tell. Sounds
0: good. I am
1: ready for Murph's show and tell this week.
2: Show and tell time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we're just, um, it's just... Like last episode, it was just Fru with the show and tell. This episode's just me with the show and tell. Because I have something. Fru's show and tell has been made into its own segment, which you'll hear later. Um, but I, <laughs> I have something I have been meaning to share with the world. It's one of my, my favorite. Oh, no. You know, it is the season of love, Fru. Oh, no. Um, my, my original pitch for the show is that we would only have episodes premiering in sync with holidays. And so far, that has lined up tremendously, but you know, it's, it's Valentine's is upon us. And uh, let me ask you, did you ever have a cryptid phase? <laughs> yeah. I had a pretty big cryptid paranormal phase when I was a kid. All the more shocking. I never watched x Oh, I know. But even, even cryptids need love. So I have this article here. Is it here. Mothman? Woman claims she is in a sexual relationship with Bigfoot.
2: Hmm, <laughs> leave him alone. <laughs> it's
1: a mean name to call your husband. This article's from 2015, uh, posted to a website <laughs> called The Moron, um, which is sort of like tracks Darwin Award tier <laughs> stories and things. Okay. Nancy Hogert told Bigfoot Hogurt. Tracker that she and the infamous Bigfoot have been in a relationship since 2008 and are trying to start a family. She claims Bigfoot lives in Mason County, Washington, and the f- and she first encountered the beast while tending to her marijuana grow. Me, hold on, I need to see a lot your of these tracks. I, re- I don't know, I don't know tracks to what, but here I'm gonna post to you. This is Nancy. Oh, she's pretty. Bigfoot was standing there eating all the buds off my plants. Hogarth said. At first I wanted to run away cause he's very scary, but I thought he might eat all my marijuana plants, and that's how I used to make a living. I pointed my shotgun at him, and he put his hands up, scared. That's when I looked down, and noticed that he had a huge erection between his legs. I hadn't gotten any in a while, and well, from there, it somehow turned into an adult movie. I don't know if he started it, or I started it. He did me from behind, which felt great.
2: <laughs> this is bait! This is awful bait!
1: <laughs> Hogarth said the relationship blossomed from just sex partners to a deep love. He's so sweet and caring. He brings me flowers and mushrooms. Holds me while we stargaze. The only downside is that he don't speak English. I've taught him how to say my name, but it's kind of garbled, and he mispronounces it like none say <laughs> Pokert said they were trying for a baby, with no luck so far, but she's confident it will happen, even though she is 52. So looks really good for 52 in this picture. Once I'm pregnant, Bigfoot, or John as I call him, and I are going to settle down and live a quiet domesticated life in my house. He loves living in the forest, but I am sick of the long-distance relationship. I have to commute for three hours to be with my man. It's getting old, and gas is expensive. Hogart said she is legally going to change her last name to Nancy Bigfoot. Of course, the big question is, will she reveal Bigfoot to the public? Will humanity finally have living proof of the mythological creature? Nah, Hogart said regarding the presenting Bigfoot the world. Government scientists will just take and dissect him, or try to turn him into a soldier to fight ISIS or something. You know how the government is. She did say she will sell pictures of Bigfoot and samples of his fur through a website she plans to set up. Now that marijuana is legal in Washington, I don't have an income, she said, so capitalizing on my boyfriend's fame is how I plan to make money. Sounds
0: like she's doing it.
1: She's she's doing it. You f- go, girl boss. She's got that hustle. She's a girl boss.
0: Yeah. Oh my god. You go, Nancy. You, you, you go. I don't know where you're going, but you're going. The number one thing I loved about that reading was we both know that this woman's basically from <laughs> like Olympia, mm-hmm.
2: rural. But woman. now she's a
0: Southern belle. Yeah. Oh, um,
1: <laughs> uh, what a!
0: You know how that was such a
1: ride. Yeah, you know how like we're getting all these movies about just like based on famous headlines like Cocaine Bear. Where's this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I bought the story about the fifty-two-year-old woman. Played by Who Grows Weed? Uh Jamie Lee Curtis or or who was in three billboards. Fr- Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand could play this part. Yeah. Of the, of the I could see that. Secret marijuana patch growing woman who falls in love with Bigfoot at first sight. <laughs> and Bigfoot will be played by Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> he would. He would take it.
0: I'm just taking back to days where I would have to um, pick up magazines for my beloved great-grandma mm-hmm. at the check stand at the grocery store. And she, it was like the Sun and the National Enquirer. She just liked to keep up with current events. Uh, excuse me, but I think that was the peak.
1: Of, of journalism. <laughs> the peak
0: of journalism.
1: <laughs> yeah. Worldwide <laughs> news with Batboy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, with Batboy. Oh man, best best of luck to Nancy. I hope we can maybe we can find here's a, the ultimate a question.
1: For them. Do you think Nancy is real or this is just some BS made for up for the website?
0: I hope Nancy's real. I want to believe.
1: Do you think Bigfoot is real in this story? Because <laughs> otherwise, if Nancy believes she is telling the truth. But Bigfoot ain't real, then this woman's getting gaslit by some hill man. <laughs> oh no. Never mind, I don't like the optics anyway
0: we cut this. <laughs> none
2: of it's good, none of it's good. Oh, God.
0: oh no. <laughs> Are you proud of yourself? Now I have to think about this. Bigfoot
1: erotica all week I, I do feel good about myself I am I feel like I've made up For last episode
0: <laughs> No I have to come up with something equally scarring For the next episode
1: Okay let's not well, well, Hold on let's not make this into a competition Where we're trying to one up each other <laughs> Okay well speaking of um, We're going to be done with show and tell Everyone put an apple on teacher's desk and let's transition to the wild. Card. Would you like a wild card?
2: Gotcha, bitch! It's a wild card.
1: This is a new wild card. We've been we've been thinking about. Um, just frankly yep. called Fru Explains TikTok. So TikTok, TikTok is one of those things that like came out of the ether for me. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I like to think of myself as terminally online, but I'm not that plugged in to an oxymoron when you think about it. Yeah, because like Vine, TikTok, Snapchat, like I, I don't download apps. I wouldn't personally put like content on and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't take pictures and make videos. So right. I have no reason to get like Instagram, you know, right. what makes TikTok different from Anything we've had prior.
0: It is is different from all the other apps right now, because again, like the prioritization in the content that's being made, like we kind of, we have a really good understanding of how to make a YouTube video now. And just the hard part is gaining the audience because Mm -hmm. there's a saturation in the market. Yes. Of like, here is Thing, this is why you need to watch me for Thing. Mm -hmm. But TikTok has just recently expanded their runtime to three minutes as a max. So that they could start allowing music videos from official companies on their app. Mm -hmm. But that really is the thing. So TikTok began as Musical.ly.
1: Yes. And I remember this. I don't remember
0: what year. But yeah, so it was Musical.ly and it was like a karaoke app. Mm -hmm. Like a lip sync app. And it really was pushing the sound forward. And so where Vine was really about condensing your joke as fast as you can. TikTok is... I am making as catchy or eye catching of a video as fast as I can because people are just scrolling. Hmm.
1: Okay. So everything auto-plays. Yes.
0: To a point where recently millennials have once again come under fire for being outed as having become victims of the millennial pause. Hmm.
1: I don't know The what millennial that means. pause is a Isn't phenomenon. That what happens to women when they reach 50?
0: <laughs> Close. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Um, so back in the day, you would have to make sure that your app, whatever it was you were using, was recording. Okay. And so the the thing that the kids noticed was, why do all these older creators have these pauses for, like, a second or two at the beginning of their TikToks? Because it just makes me want to scroll away. Huh, okay. It's so weird. The prioritization. This also means that everything you've ever hated about specific
1: niches of Twitter is distilled even further on TikTok. I've always heard it as TikTok is 10 years behind Tumblr in terms of discourse. I
0: can attest most people's least favorite genre of TikTok are just reposts from other websites where yeah. they'll just use the green screen filter and literally put up a famous tic- like a famous text post from Tumblr mm-hmm. with some catchy trending song so it gets boosted in the algorithm. Okay. So
1: what's this... What's the trend?
0: The trend right now, it may take a few episodes to go over all of these, but I, I have a good selection. Well, that's why it's a segment. We'll start with one today. Yeah, yeah that's why it's a segment. We'll start with today. Um, you're going to make me so hit many with the these. kids. But, yeah, but well then, I hope you're ready to go back to film school because we got bad media analysis.
1: <laughs> hey, that's the, that's the theme of the episode.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to send you... This TikTok, you might wanna you might want to actually hear what I'm not gonna be mean, what the user has to say. Okay. I'm not gonna be mean. I'll just Does TikTok have a
1: video length? Yeah,
0: so a max of three. Okay. Let me
1: let me open this. So did you do your time in food service? I worked in catering, uh serving. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Front of house counts. What?
1: I'm not sure what I'm looking at to begin with, but the thing is, right, that... right. Oh, two nil spinal jelly. So
0: I have sent Murph a clip of a food uh, of a of a chef's TikTok showing off a delicious, uh, uncommon spinal dish. jelly. Yes, and then of course there's a stitch on it with a very astute young man pointing out. No, I would never eat this because I've seen the menu.
1: Hmm. I I have seen the menu. I like the menu.
0: Um, right, right. So this is becoming a small trend on TikTok to dunk on Grand Cuisine mm-hmm. because Grand Cuisine is for the bourgeoisie. Yes, and should not be humored, and because the chefs are going to murder you.
1: <laughs> I see. Because of the menu. Because
0: of the menu. Okay. Okay.
1: Now I am. I am kind of of the like. Anthony Bourdain mind that yes, I Mm -hmm. think haute cuisine is pretty snobbish, and I'm of the mind of the menu that at the end of the day, I would Mm -hmm. rather have a nice burger and fries. Sure, sure, of course. What's the what's the dark side here? Okay, so
0: you know the the bizarre. We're gonna talk about hipsters later. The bizarre hipster mindset of I'm so counterculture that I'm also against accidentally most pursuits of art.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm so... Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, it cuts to the guy here, and he's just eating out of a a, a jar of Jif with a spoon. And it's like, I'm so counterculture, I'm normal. It's so bizarre
0: because he hashtags it elitist. (laughs) And you're not wrong. There's tons of barriers of access Mm -hmm. to cuisine, to grand cuisine, to culinary school. There's a lot of barriers to access. Mm -hmm. But to just dismiss it outright to make your silly little joke. Because this is becoming a thing. Like people are saying like, "Oh, well, I don't believe in high cuisine. I've seen the menu."
1: Mhm. Yeah.
0: It's like maybe don't base m- m- maybe don't base your your perception The of menu cuisine. has
1: a lot more to say about like art in general than just like food. Like it's applicable to a lot of fields. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I haven't even seen it, but like just looking at everyone's analysis of it just looking at the premise it feels like it's trying to say so much more than haha fancy food dumb yeah we're, we're gonna see this a lot overcoming mess overcoming episodes where tiktok's brand of analysis is completely whole hog it's 100 percent or 0 percent, and no in between kind of
1: like early 2010s tumblr exactly to be honest, I've just got this this TikTok you sent me playing on loop, and I still cannot figure out what the Hout Cuisine thing is.
0: It's literally just like fishbone marrow.
1: Huh. Commenting to stay on the menu talk? What does that mean? Now I'm just scrolling through the the menu talk. and <laughs> It's addicting! Yeah, it is a lot of like just the same thing where it's like a shot of food. Some sort yeah. of like micro gastronomy and then it yeah. cuts to someone just like chowing down on a slice of New York pizza. Yeah. Looking smug.
0: Real food. Real food.
1: <laughs> I mean none of these things they're cutting to are good for you. Um yeah. but it's a little I don't know. Hmm. Alright, well that's well we'll get we'll get more exposed to TikTok over time, I'm oh, sure. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm making the discovery so you don't have to
1: so let's move on to get on with it our main topic speaking about scott pilgrim the comic the movie the everything the infinite sadness
0: so what was your what was your introduction to scott pilgrim
1: my introduction to scott pilgrim is in the uh the eighth grade i worked on my school's newspaper as a um movie news guy and one of the things i did was um i it was like the last day of it was like may or something and i was mm-hmm. putting in here's all the movies coming out over the summer or like, the fall or what have you and my my teacher told me to only put in the ones that are like pg13 or less <laughs> and one of them was scott pilgrim and i just saw like the basic synopsis of this guy has to fight his new girlfriend's seven ex-boyfriends but everyone in this world has superpowers and i was like oh so it's like it's like naruto and i and it kept in my mind and because at the time i was also like IGN was my sole news site for video games and movies Ugh, and things. Yeah. And they went whole hog on promoting Scott Pilgrim, the movie. Like I saw the trailer oh, when I it bet. came out and like, I saw they were doing all these things like this is going to be the ultimate movie for gamers. <laughs> and then I finally like, I read the comics before the movie came out, but not in the correct order because my local Barnes and Noble didn't have them all. I started with volumes five and okay. six. So I started at the end of the right. series and then a uh, second visit to Barnes and Noble, they had three and four, and so I read those. I didn't read the first. I read the first book last. Oh, okay. That must and have had I, a lot of
0: context on it, though.
1: Yeah, and then I went and saw the movie. Like I can, I was like saying to my dad constantly, "Oh, we need to go see this movie. This looks like it's gonna be great. It's gonna be funny." Um, you ever like you know that feeling when you're showing someone a, a YouTube video mm. and then like. Halfway oh. through, halfway through, you're like, oh, "This is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be," and then you like tap the time and be like, "Boy, I've never realized this is 15 minutes long." <laughs> that Mr. Was the, Murph's
0: dad, no. That was the
1: feeling of me sitting there watching it with my dad. We were the only ones in the theater. And partway through <laughs> the first like dream sequence Scott has, uh, my dad leaned over to me and was like, "Is the comic like this?" <laughs> the comic's like a comic, Dad. And maybe my perception of the movie is colored by that experience to some degree. Oh, <laughs> <But>
2: no! <laughs>
1: I'm willing to admit that, but how? how what about you? You're, you're a skosh older than me. Were you aware of the comic before so the this, movie?
0: Okay, if we're going to get into lore dumping, I had... You know, I always liked comics, but I was definitely much more of like a golden age comics kind of kid mm-hmm. growing up. So I, I was only loosely into... And like I was also loosely into like video games, barely. Mostly Guitar Hero,
1: yeah. Tony Hawk, Pro Skater. Um, I and get then, you were a gamer girl. You weren't really that interested, but no.
0: Yeah, yeah, not by any means. I definitely had like a fake, fake gamer girl thing going on. I was also like freshly, like barely into Star Wars, barely into nerd stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: You weren't like other girls. No, I
0: wasn't. But I also wasn't putting in any of the work to back that up.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like my favorite. Manga was and still is Tokyo Mew
1: Mew. Okay, well, Mew Mew Power, airing on yes. W4Kids. Yes,
0: no, like the actual manga, I had,
2: like... Uh, tie- hold whole- on,
1: wait, uh, just just quick Murph fun fact, because it ties in earlier. The, the, lead, <laughs> the singer of the Mew Mew Power theme... Also sang the song This Side of Paradise from the Pokemon Destiny Deoxys movie. Neither here nor there. I've been trying to find that song on like Spotify and Amazon Music for years. But she oh also, God. her most popular song is a love ballad about David Duchovny and how she wants to Amazing. Him. Go look that up after <laughs> the episode. Look up um, David Duchovny by Brie Sharp. Continue.
0: Continue. <laughs> so I didn't really have any understanding, but I liked Edgar Wright. Yes, I loved Shaun of the Dead. I had a big zombie thing going on. 2010, this is me heading into senior year of high school. I just spent the summer at my cool LA godmother's condo. Yeah. Like, driving around her BMW, having a great time. I stretched my ears. I dyed my hair pink for the first time. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to... um, put my sordid reputation and past behind me and skate through senior year unperturbed. Mm-hmm. And then Scott Pilgrim happened.
1: <laughs> how did that, um, how did that affect you?
0: <laughs> there was a lot of like, Oh my God, just like Ramona flowers. It has 7 million X's. That's funny. Shh. We're going to pile this on forever.
1: You did have the blue hair. I had
0: blue hair. I had pink hair. I had green hair. I had orange hair on accident. That happens when you bleach wrong. It was a lot. It was a lot. And this was also around the time I met my partner, who had also just gotten out of a relationship. And we kind of found each other. And I had the reputation. And he was oblivious. And people were like, oh my god, like, Scott and Ramona, I'm like, please don't put that energy on me. But, like, it was kind of hard to explain to people that as I would get older, I would identify with Knives Chow more and more and more and more and more and Mm -hmm. more and more. Having also gone through a lot of similar experiences Yeah, (laughs) as Knives Chow and not Ramona.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So...
0: I loved Scott Pilgrim. I went and saw it immediately, but immediately also knew that it would spell trouble for me.
1: So how long after the fact did you read the comics? That
0: took me until college because after, like, maybe halfway through college, I first read through the comics. Because, of course, I suffered through years of even my exes that were still friendly with me being, Mm -hmm. like, just like Ramona Flowers for, like, an entire year. And that was not fun for anybody involved.
1: Jeepers! I'm, um, I'm so sorry. I, I had no idea when uh, I pitched this episode.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I had I had beef for a little bit, and so maybe halfway through college, I finally like rewatched it, enjoy it still. Mm-hmm. What like read the comics? Felt a little iffy about those, and so I think the reread was very needed here because it yeah. definitely shed light on a ton of things. You said something very, very fitting that really Mm -hmm. framed my reading of it.
1: Which is... You said that it
0: reads a lot differently once you're older
1: than the whole cast. Oh, yeah. I guess we should baseline explain. Scott Pilgrim started as a a serialized comic, a graphic novel, Mm. I guess you would call it. Um, By Brian Lee O'Malley. The first volume came out in 2004, which is way earlier than I thought it was. And it's about Scott Pilgrim, 23 years old, living Mm -hmm. in Toronto, Canada. And he starts dating a high schooler, Knives Chow. And then he becomes infatuated with this new American girl shows up named Ramona Flowers, who's like mysterious and hipster and... They start a relationship, but only on the condition that Scott can eventually beat all of her seven evil ex-boyfriends. And it's got a lot of anime and video game like aesthetic to it. Scott literally does like combos and combo breakers. His enemies turn into coins. There's a lot of references. Not just to video games, but also just like Canadian Toronto culture. Right, right. Yeah, and it spanned six volumes, one for every boyfriend except for volume five, which is twins. And then eventually, by the time volume four came out, it was optioned into a movie picked up by Edgar Wright, director of Shaun of the Dead, and turned into a movie released in summer of 2010 to a box office bomb, but it has become something which you it a cult classic, just based on reputation. Based
0: on reputation, I could say so. Just again, based on how divided... Mm. takes seem to be still i would say it's a divisive movie even in edgar wright's oeuvre
1: yeah long ago on my second twin geeks appearance i said like i tried to convince myself that i had a tim burton phase did you well, I tried to convince myself I should have a Tim Burton phase. And it's much the same with this movie where it's like, I tried oh. to convince myself I was really all oh. about it. And I, I'm realizing as an adult, it's like, no, I was really all about the comics. Okay. The movie was the, o- the window into that because I read the comics because I wanted to know about the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think the older I get, the less interested I am in the movie. In fact, like on this rewatch, my letterboxed ranking dropped from like a seven to a six.
0: <laughs> See, I didn't look at your ranking before
1: this, just just to keep mine intact. Yeah. Let's so the comics. Like how yeah. we both reread the series, and I used to read the series pretty much like once a summer, but it was also every month of summer. <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't really reread it again until 2019 after i had already graduated okay. college and that's where i came okay. to the realization that this hits a lot different once you're older than scott or even like the same age as scott and most of the cast yeah um yeah. and then on this re- reread it even like hit closer to home much in the same way of like like i was re- i was watching um i brought it up before i was watching quentin reviews And Mm, I was rewatching the iCarly saga just because it's good background noise while I work. Um, But he mentioned, like, uh, while I was making this video, I had my 24th birthday. And I was like, no, no, I'm three years older than Quentin Reviews. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be getting that feeling so much. Look, okay. Dear listener, listen to me. What? Two things. One day you will wake up and you will realize the music on the radio is no longer being made to entertain specifically you. Second, you will be older than all of your idols and you will realize they did not have it as put together as you think. All right. Sage (laughs) advice from Murph. Cause when I was in high school reading it and going back to like friends where all these Mm -hmm. 20 year olds have these furnished apartments and their lives are together. I feel like Scott Pilgrim was the first thing I ever like, show movie comic whatever that showed like yeah being in your early 20s you're gonna be in a lot of shit apartments going to a lot of shit restaurants and being friends yeah. with people you're only friends with because you knew them in high school or college and it, it felt i don't know distinctly honest to me and that's something that's true in a lot of brian leo malley's work is mm-hmm. that he's very honest about what being in your 20s is yeah
0: like. yeah i appreciated that about his work I, I think at one point I, I asked who wins, Movie Scott or Comic Scott, and it's still Comic Scott just based on how honest of a
1: depiction mm. that is. Because when I was in high school, I was like, yeah, Scott's got some problems, but you know, he's he's working them out. And now that I'm an adult <sighs> and I'm being like, if I knew this little 20 year old shit, I would like not be friends with him. <laughs> I would not want to be around him. I would get annoyed. <laughs> Maturing, yeah.
0: Maturing is knowing that you would beat the crap out of Scott if he was your friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And that's with that's with post two thousands clarity in hindsight because there's I, I guess we could get into that at some point. There's definitely some culture differences in in generations here from like a Gen X writer to like millennial
1: audiences mm-hmm definitely because what initially set me off about like putting this in our episode idea thing mm-hmm. is that like, a prominent Twitter person like you know those people just make funny tweets yeah. and things I'm not gonna say who because honestly I can't quite remember it I have like two primary candidates in my mind and I can't remember which it was also I cannot <laughs> find the tweets. But they were like, stop trying to tell me that Scott Pilgrim is a good movie. And then they followed that up by saying, why are you telling me that the point is that the main character's bad? Why would I watch a movie with a bad main character? And it's like, Uh! can we just (laughs) like... Ingest. I, the media. I don't know
0: when the people started demanding that their characters not be nuanced.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like literally, isn't it more interesting at all that I the characters have
1: flaws? I think it's because that the arc of Scott Pilgrim is in a way like oddly subtle and also very matter of fact. Ain't the wrong word. I ain't the right word. But I've been I, I've been getting into this uh, anime. It's moderately famous. Mob Psycho. 100. Okay. One thing that. I read from an interview of the writer of that is he said he wanted Mm. to tell an absolutely massive story about a very small step forward and that's what Scott Pilgrim is very much the same way it is about a guy in his his early 20s early to mid 20s getting his life together and what that entails it's about him getting a job it's about him getting a stable relationship it's about you know Learning to deal with rent and stuff. It's about how to be a person. And that's right, why, right. you know, at the start of the story, yes, he is dating a high schooler, but it's kind of framed as him being, like, interested arrested development.
0: It's really, like, it. reading it this time, again, I read it, I first read it when I was in college. I was, like, maybe 18, 19. Mm-hmm. Reading it now as as a whole ass 30 year old, it's like, that is the biggest cry for help I've ever seen in my life. And they say it in, they say it in the text that it's a cry for help, but it's coming from a character and it's framed in a way that it's kind of a, it's kind of an
1: offhand joke almost. Well, it's it's the thing. It's like, I've seen people saying like Scott Pilgrim's problematic because he's a pedophile or a rumor. And like, I can defend everything except the, The pedophilia, I guess. The grooming. Yeah. Um, I guess just one thing to say is that, like, the age of consent in Canada is 16, so knives being 17 isn't, like, all that, like... Off, But definitely every character calls him out on it. But also, like, yeah. 10 pages into the first volume, Scott's having a call with his sister. And she's like, Yeah, why, why are you doing this? And he's just like, I don't know. It's easy. It reminds me of simpler times. And that
0: is a huge thing. The movie, in order to fit into any watchable runtime, mm-hmm. has to truncate a lot. And so they literally make Stacy's exchange with Scott super duper fast. Anna Kendrick says scandal. And that's pretty much... It. Yeah, and it mm-hmm. she really lays into him in the comics. Like this is gross. What are you doing? At no point does Scott
1: sexualize. Not that's the thing is that he's very. He's like, oh, we've hugged Yeah, once. and
0: you can tell almost before they break up, every single time that they kiss is initiated by Knives. Hmm. Scott looks incredibly uncomfortable every single time because this isn't going where he wanted it to go. Yeah, Suddenly it's becoming more real the more that she sexualizes the relationship.
2: Yeah, and I think And it's that's sad. what
0: Scott's doing. It's It's an easy thing where a girl is just infatuated with him and that's it.
1: Yeah, because from Knives' perspective, he it's kind of like the same perspective I had in high school. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. Scott's older, he must have his life together at 23. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like getting to the same age and being like, oh, no, no he's not admirable in the least. He's just like yeah. the first, you know, you just kind of assume everyone's slightly older than you is much more, so much more mature and interesting. Yeah,
0: and that is the huge thing, is that when you look at it from Knives' perspective, I, in retrospect, looking back, there was never any reason for an adult to be interested in my day-to-day life, Mm, you know? And that's always a really hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Looking back is, especially because you realize not only, like, she's being looped in with their friend group, they're kind of, like, taking care of her. Yeah. Even though, like, she has, like, Tamara, her one friend,
1: Yes, her one
0: friend apparently. Yeah, her one friend apparently. I feel like Brian Lee O'Malley has to be writing this from like some cultural context that he has of like just that pressure to succeed and do well and do well for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the appearance of looking good can be a lot for a high schooler. And yeah. so a lot of times you'll see the outcome of that be like this kind of lashing out of values I'm going to hang out with cool people who do not represent my day-to-day life. And then mm-hmm. you realize, looking back, it's like, there was no reason for my friends in middle school to be hanging out with adults. That's really weird. Why did they do that? Yeah. <laughs> why did those adults do that? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
0: and so you kind of have this feeling of, why were the adults in Scott's life, like, you kind of want to hope it's because they want to take care of knives, and protect her mm-hmm. as much as they can in this weird-ass situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Without making a big deal out of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, even by, like, volume four, she's, like, uh, like she just shows up to places with Stephen Stills. And we buy, we know yeah. by the end of the story that Stephen Stills would have no interest in her whatsoever. Right, right. But he, like, and sneaks you, and, her into yeah. bars and things. And you're kind of hoping,
0: like, yeah, it's just because she thinks he's cool. And, like, Stephen kind of also responds to someone thinking that he's cool. And it's kind of this really easy trap to fall into.
1: Stephen Stills is also younger than Scott, which surprised me on this reread. I had never noticed that. He's two years younger than- Because he's so much
0: more put together. Yeah. (laughs) That was
1: the wild thing.
0: The realization of what makes Scott such a deadbeat was that his parents were too easy on him.
1: That's like, yeah, that's the revelation of uh, volume six when Scott like has nowhere to live because Ramona's run away. Wallace is is in a healthy, committed relationship and doesn't need Scott living with him anymore. And then his parents. And all the
0: girls that he's accidentally taken advantage of have shummed him.
1: Yeah. And his parents return from Europe and buy him a third story apartment. Yeah. They just
0: set him up. And they're ready. And like they're depicted in this overly doting, very spoiling way where it's the most on the nose post boomer Gen X take I've ever seen. That Mm. Scott's parents were so easy on him that he has no backbone and no prospects.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And if we want to get into like differences from the movie, because volume six came out after the movie and it notably has a very different final act compared to the comic. Yes, yes, it does. So I don't really know if Brian Lee O'Malley like had this idea for Scott like sort of explaining his arrested development and things, and he shared mm-hmm. that with Edgar Wright or whatever. Um, but m- I think my issue with Michael Sarah's take on Scott is, for most of the comic, Scott is like he's a deadbeat slacker yeah. character, whereas Michael Sarah yeah. always gives off more like the guy from Rent or just Rent in general. I where, said Mark from Rent. Yeah. Where it's like, he doesn't need to be slumming it. He just chooses to because it's an aesthetic. And that's the vibe yeah. Michael Cera always gave off and why I don't think I really vibed with him as Scott. It's like, no, Michael is too like rich white boy for this. But I if can the see movie that. had the scene where it's like, no, his parents are just unexplainedly upper middle class and they just get him an apartment and chill out in Europe for a year. Yeah. I would have, like, oh, this would have all made it come together. And that's kind of, to me, always the movie's failing, is that because it wants to get in all seven evil exes, it misses a lot of, like, the quiet beats from the comment, the, the introspective beats from the comic. Right.
0: Like, we don't get... Ramona literally leaves to go be with her dad for, like, an entire year. She just yeah. leaves. And... Because I remember how how effective that was for me. I didn't remember this story beat at all. I thought when she vanished that she ran away to be with Gideon.
1: Yeah, and that's like the perspective. That... And that's
0: how it's supposed to read. Mm-hmm. And that's how Scott takes it too. And so the realization that no, she literally just went to go be by herself with someone that she trusted.
1: Yeah. And who a was like a wilderness third party. Yeah, a little wilderness retreat. <laughs> um, but the movie has it. No, she actually ran away to be with Gideon which is just, like, a yeah. different take. Like, even Gideon, in the comics, Gideon didn't know where Ramona was. Scott was like, that was you're, you're holding Ramona thing. hostage, and Gideon's like, no, she's with you. What the yeah. hell? Yeah,
0: yeah, like, we've been doing this, and you haven't even been keeping track of her? That realization is so important for Scott in the books because he's literally, like, he's gotten a place to live, he got a job, he's getting his shit together with Ramona, and then he finds out the, the piece de resistance that Gideon's not even good at this. Mm-hmm. He's actually an abusive asshole.
1: Yeah. Um, so we we have talked about knives and Scott. Let's talk about the other point on this triangle. the The character who I think has probably received more overtly than Scott gotten like the least reputation or most, like, reputation damage as the years have gone on. Let's talk about Ramona Flowers.
0: Oh, boy.
1: So, would you classify Ramona as a manic pixie dream That's girl? That's the
0: crazy thing, is that in the movie, yeah, because she has nothing else to give. Mm-hmm. In the books, absolutely not. Yeah. In the books, absolutely not. She In the books, she gets to run, like, the full gamut of an actual ca- like character arc, where yeah. her only... Like, her only quirk is that she has a subspace bag and colored hair. <laughs> hmm
1: So, people who only watch the movie are like, oh, Scott and Ramona have no chemistry. Like, she's just a prize to be won. And you know what? I do I do agree with that take. And that's kind of one of the re- reasons why the movie has lost it for me. Because you go, even, like, the very first volume of the books, they do have chemistry. They have a rapport. They make jokes with each other. But Ramona smiles. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: And, oh my gosh, bless Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's doing so much with so little in the movie.
2: Mm-hmm. Also,
0: I will say they did try to go panel for panel on the scene where they finally get together in Ramona's house. Yeah. But they still somehow end up filming Mary Elizabeth Winstead more sexually than Brian Lee O'Malley frames her in the comic.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I don't know how you managed to do that. Another
1: thing, Michael Sarah has, like, no game when he delivers the line, like, what about the tea? you know i
0: i still can't get any reading on whether or not scott's actually good at flirting or not i know he's awkward and i know he's oblivious and those two things can still can still land you a sexual partner
1: well yeah like in the you so know. i can't
0: get any i can't get
1: any read on how if he's actually suave or not uh we'll we'll get into uh, put put a pin in that let's let let's talk more about <laughs> ramona because <laughs> ramona's character is like she is Framed as being somewhat mysterious, but that's also yeah. you got to keep in mind that like a lot of Scott Pilgrim is from Scott's point of view. There's always been mm-hmm. like the reading that like none of the video game anime stuff actually happens. That's just how Scott sees the world, right? Um, right.
0: Which I don't know how I feel about that personally, but I don't it, think it it's can like, work as a as a lens. N-
1: yeah, I think it's a lens. It's not like a a game theory. It's all a dream thing, <laughs> but right. But like in volume 4 Ramona asks like so what what do you like about me and Scott's like uh, you're uh, you're hot and mysterious and she's like do you not know anything about me <laughs> how old yeah. am i and Scott's like, yeah. uh, I haven't asked.
0: And those are all things that, like, they are they are responded to in the books. Like, Ramona's not okay with that. Yeah. She's literally mm-hmm. upset. They get into a fight about it. Like, you don't know anything about me. You don't care about me. I'm just a hot girl to you. I'm not going to be infatuated with you for no reason.
1: Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I
0: actually want a relationship. This has to be a relationship. And that's a huge call to action
1: for Scott in the plot. Yeah. Because before, they're just dating. But by volume four, they're yeah. Involved. Right,
0: right. And that's that's a huge development. And I feel like in turn a lot of the characters just happen to be girls mm-hmm. and they all get shafted in the in in the film. So Kim yeah. everything she has gets taken away. But Ramona most of all, when you look in the books, you really see like she is actively hurt from her past relationship with Gideon yeah she's actively recovering from it every time something goes wrong with Scott she's in distress because she doesn't want things to end up like how they did with Gideon
1: yes exactly and also like the movie also misses out Ramona being a part of the friend group because yeah. it's truncated Ramona's one of to... their friends the movie's truncated to like what a, a week two weeks at most Whereas in the book, it's two years of plot.
0: It's a little disappointing because like, even in the final act with the confrontation, Ramona's part in it is kind of substituted for giving Knives closure all of a sudden.
1: Yes.
0: Because I feel like Knives' closure was identified as a very key part of the plot Mm -hmm. of the book's. And I feel like the screenwriters understood that they couldn't include Knives without giving her an end to her story. I think the the movie
1: makes it weird by having it be, like, Scott could wind up with R- Knives by the end. They even, like, filmed that ending. Yeah. And I just never gelled with that because even in the comic, by, again, I keep saying this, by volume one you know these were known aspects of the plot like it's very clearly yeah. framed as like knives as a cry for help it's meant to show Scott's arrested development he is already like yeah done with her is a very brutal way of saying it but it's it is he's done with her she served her purpose yeah and then it's like okay well what admittedly knives does a bit of wheel spinning in the plot kind of just to provide yeah. conflict but also to reiterate how much of an asshole Scott is right
0: like, we keep the girls around that Scott has hurt throughout the comic. Mm-hmm. We keep them around, and they even come up. Like, the fact that there is no good way to wrap Lisa into the plot of that, the movie. Yeah, more and more that
1: that breaks my heart, because Volume 4 is my favorite, and that is the one that Yeah, has the Lisa. Lisa
0: subplot is so good, because you know from the beginning, from the time that her characters introduced... That she's just madly in love with Scott and it's not going to go anywhere for her.
1: Yeah, for those that haven't read the comics, Lisa Miller is a character um, introduced in a flashback of Scott's high school years where she's just like this girl who kind of very immediately follows him around from his first day at school. She
0: literally becomes his friend the way that Wallace does. Yes. And they're that close.
1: Yes. In fact, it's even framed the same way where it's like, how did you get into my house? Your brother let me in. Do you have any lemonade? Yeah, and then she like wants to start a band with him, and he invites uh Kim into the group. Yeah. And as their drummer, and then Scott and Kim hook up, and you can tell yeah. that Lisa is put off about. But that. But
0: Scott doesn't notice or care.
1: And then in Volume Four, she comes back because she moves back to Toronto briefly for the summer, and she yeah. tries to. She's like, moving
0: to. She's moving to L.A. She's going to be an actress.
1: Yeah, and she like tries to make something happen with Scott again. She's like, did you, were you even like aware that I had the hugest crush on you? Yeah. And he wasn't. And that's a, that's a super important part in the Scott's character arc because it presents this option of like, Hey, you could have it easy. You could have a girl who is just as in love with you as knives, but doesn't have the problematic like teenager angle and also is not like complicated and you need to fight ex-boyfriends like Ramona. There's no baggage with Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he chooses to stick with Ramona because he genuinely does love her. Right.
0: And gosh, it's just the the presentation of the exes you just reminded me. Um, but Lisa to wrap that up is is such a vital plot point as well because it really illustrates to the reader the depth to Scott's obliviousness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That he very well is the bad guy in a lot of these stories and doesn't even realize it. And it sheds a lot of light on the envy situation. Mm -hmm. It sheds a lot of light on the Kim situation moving forward. And it kind of really explains how he could be so callous to Knives without even really trying. And so, but man, you just, ah, bringing up the, the, the presentation of the exes. You're gonna have to remind me if I'm misremembering this. But I feel like in the comics, it's not presented as Ramona saying, if you and I are going to date you are going to have to beat my seven ex-boyfriends. I'm pretty sure it's just, this is a thing I
1: have going on. Yeah. I am. I, I would need to go all the way back. It's not my, so formal. To my bookshelf it, yeah. back there and grab it. But yeah. yeah I, I but do, I feel like it's not as formal. Yeah. I do think it's pretty informal. Whereas in the movie, it's like, if we have, if we're going to date, you have to defeat my seven evil exes.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Sooner or later, we're going to have to talk about Roxy. And I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot that we love about the comics.
1: Just, like, on this reread, and even I, I kind of reread them pretty quickly this time around, but it's just, like, yeah. it launched me back so specifically to being in sophomore year of high school. Oh. And just, like, uh, there's something about, uh, like, the comics are funny, but Brian Lee O'Malley does these things where it's just, like, the the, the last panel of, like, a page before you turn it will always end on these, like, somewhat weird like moments of ennui or like a joke you don't quite get like um yeah we were just talking about the lisa miller thing in that flashback it's like showing how she like uh follows scott into like she sits with him at lunch she follows him home and then it's like the last thing on that page is her just like sitting by a tree looking up at him and being like do you hate me and there's no resolution you turn the page immediate next scene and that's yeah. kind of like how it's framed. Like any moment Scott is about to like interact with something difficult, a difficult conversation, it hard cuts to an easy conversation.
0: And that's a that's a that's a great observation because really you get an understanding of what is so hard for Scott in growing past this.
1: Because mm-hmm. a big thing about the comics is that Scott kind of gaslights himself into thinking he is the hero. In fact, like, yeah. you know, every character has their stats and descriptions, and Scott is always yeah. framed as the hero. And by the yeah. last volume, you realize that, like, you know, no, that flashback he had about, like, rescuing Kim from a rival high school, that that didn't happen. She He beat up her at-the-time boyfriend and then made her his girlfriend. And it's like, yeah. the breakup with Envy wasn't that one-sided you know yeah he says like i remember you breaking my heart and she replies i remember it you breaking there's so many
0: ways you could frame like oh maturing is going back and reading scott pilgrim and for me this time it was realizing just how valid envy was and a lot of her hurt Mm -hmm, because for her it was like i have this opportunity to be great and amazing and i have this partner who will not meet me on my level and refuses to communicate about it
1: that step yeah definitely this time I finally unlocked like the envy sympathy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's like in the movie, there's no great, there's no gray space about it. Envy's mm-hmm. crazy. She just acts kind of hurt.
1: Yeah. You don't get, and you that. don't really understand don't
0: get the why she's hurt. Yeah. And there is that closure here. Like all the characters get closure of like even Kim, like finally gets her moment where in the movie it,
1: we have to move really fast. We're in the final scene. The most you get for Kim's character arc is the bit where like Ramona asks about it and Scott's like, Oh, we were in high school. She had freckles and you like cut to Kim, yeah. like looking away sad. Yeah.
0: When so much happened with Kim, so much happened with Kim that informs like everything that's going on with her in the background. And I will say Brian Leomalley has a great way of communicating that characters are progressing and living and moving throughout the background.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, um, Something in volume four is, um, you know, it opens with, like, Kim moving. Yeah. And Scott's like, this is this is crazy. This is such a huge step. And Kim's like, uh, people move all the time, bro. <laughs> like,
0: Yeah. And, and it's not just that, but Kim has, like, she has these boyfriends that never really amount to anything. Mm-hmm. She's dating guys that have trucks. Like, and Scott only registers, like, you know somebody with a truck? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of it. Again, his priorities are all out of whack because it just shows how easy he's had things. I love the revelation that Scott's dream job was being a waiter at a Tex-Mex resta- restaurant. Uh-huh. And then all his dreams were dashed when the restaurant closed.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, let's move down the character <laughs> list. Um, how about we talk about unproblematic Faith Wallace? Is Wallace unproblematic? I guess I should immediately ask. Okay,
0: I'm gonna say the number one thing is that even though there is so much progress shown in the depiction of, like, just the acceptance, the understanding Mm -hmm. that gay people and gay friends exist, like, Brian Lee O'Malley even said, like, oh, I had a gay roommate in college. Yeah. There's still, like, a thing where we depict, like, homosexual men as being, like, polyamorous Mm-hmm. and free loving and lecherous like i am going to steal your boyfriend.
1: I always just kind of took that as a Wallace thing to begin with. Right. Right. It is such a Wallace
0: what... thing, but at the same time it's like when you watch more media
2: mm-hmm.
0: from the 90s and it's like, wow. Why do we hate gay people? <laughs> yeah. Um all i could all i could think is would archie bunker be afraid of this man?
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent. He would be afraid of Wallace <laughs> Wells. I would. Oh my God! Can someone write that fic? <laughs> Holy look, shit. look! I just, just think that up...
0: both both the Culkins have played amazing gays, mm-hmm. but Kieran Culkin wins the gay depiction.
1: <laughs> yeah, Kieran Culkin in the um, the movies like the him and um, Allison Pill as Kim because she is pitch perfect casting, but. I will say Anne Ellen Wong as Knives. Yeah, um, that woman is twenty
0: five playing a seventeen year old.
1: Um, but the it's one of the one like changes in like not necessarily writing but tone of mm-hmm. the character that I'm I'm fine with. Yeah,
0: I miss Mobile. Oh yeah, Wallace's actual boyfriend who isn't Other Scott.
1: I love Other Scott. <laughs>
0: Other Scott's fun. I like that as a joke. It reads really well on screen. Yeah, but I miss Mobile, the the absent boyfriend that Wallace is always cheating on. Yeah, <laughs> because they have a weird, nebulous relationship.
2: mm Hmm.
1: Um. But like, Wallace in the comics is kind of like, you know, he's a little bit uh fairy like, but in
0: they're not the, doing him any favors. In the movie,
1: <laughs> he is. I don't know. Kieran Cole can just undersells it he downplays enough
0: yeah because think about the time that this comes out and it's 2010 metrosexual is such a thing Mm. and it's a great way to mask homosexuality
1: god it it becomes a great tactic remember it was like dudes who wear belts are gay
0: (laughs) yeah 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 oh my god there's such dude again i gaslit myself into being in the closet from myself for so long (laughs) (laughs) Because everything you could do was gay.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: The 2000s were hell. Why did we do this to ourselves?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then, like... But
0: Wallace, he's the voice of reason.
1: He's the one Scott can confide in and turn to. Like, yeah. when all of Scott's friends hate him in, like, volumes five and six, Wallace is still there for Yeah, him.
0: and, like, between... Like, Stacy's gonna be... Scott's stand in mom while their parents are in europe yeah but wallace is going to be his older brother because scott's older brother just isn't in
1: the plot well lawrence is his younger brother
0: that's right lawrence is his younger brother scott's the
1: oldest yeah and and scott (laughs) which is the worst realization (laughs) yeah um and then um like you know I think it's okay that Wallace is a bit of a stereotype, because by the end of the plot, we learn that he's not the only gay friend that Scott has. Oh, man. There's Stephen Stills, who, in the the movie... The realization
0: of Stephen Stills.
1: The movie doesn't have this, but by the end of the story, Stephen Stills realizes that he's gay. And he hooks up with Kim's roommate. He's
0: fallen in love with their producer friend, who's been helping Stephen make Sex Bob-Oms EP. Yeah. And they've been recording for months and recording so diligently that they've stopped performing.
1: Yes. And it's to a degree that, like, Joseph is the guy's name, is a much better musician mm-hmm. than Scott and Kim, that he just yeah. re-records all their parts. So they're not even, yeah. like, an entity. Yeah,
0: And it's to a point where, at the end, Steven Stills is perfectly fine because he and Joseph are just going to make their own band.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the amazing thing is that, like, you know, everything... Scott introduces Sex Bob-Omb as being Steven Stills' band. You know, it's all he talks about. It's the only thing he's in, like... When Steven Stills is in the scene, he wants to talk about the band. But by the end, it's like, no, I'm in a healthy, committed relationship. I don't need this.
0: (laughs) With someone who cares about the band as much as he does. Yes. That's the crazy thing, is, like, whenever we end up seeing steven and joseph in their little back panels because like again they're just doing side stuff yeah and we see them just in the sides of things and then whenever we do look at them they're like leave us alone we're recording yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's all about work with these guys but that's kind of what makes them perfect for each other and it's not overstated it's just oops they're in love (laughs) Mm -hmm. it is what it is yeah and that's the representation that we should all strive for
1: Look, I'm going to say, like, I don't really, I didn't find much discourse on, like, is Scott Pro- Pilgrim pop problematic from a from a queer reading? but Right, it is there like is one... the
0: bi-erasure of Roxy Richter, which is really weird. Mm-hmm.
1: It is, like, one of the first pieces of media I, I read where, like, what, would you say, like, 40-50% of the cast is some level of, like, LGBTQ? There is
0: that weird weird freaking scene in the beach episode
1: oh yeah where
0: knives and kim get sloppy drunk and make out after bitching about scott
1: Uh uh-huh that is
0: that's that's weird that's that's definitely spawned into a lot of ships
1: i know that um brian leo malley said like i think this is an interview like three years ago where he was like people have asked me like where the characters are now i picture knives and kim got together and moved away to america you
0: know what Good for them. <laughs> Good for them, I guess.
1: Do we want to talk about the exes and maybe what they oh, sort of represent? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think I think at least a little bit. Matthew Patel, there's not much to say other than, man, Ramona really did just go, that's the one brown guy in school and everyone's bullying him.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I should be with him.
1: There's not a lot to say about Matthew. <laughs> but but the movie He does... is the cutest
0: ex in the movie.
1: Yeah, the movie does the fun thing with like the I del- I hand delivered you that letter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the musical number. Lucas Lee is elevated in the movie to a great so degree much. by Chris Evans. So pre- much, Captain America. Fixed. Chris Evans,
0: not another teen movie. Chris Evans. Oh man, it, what a what a guy! He was such a good comedy actor before he ended up as as America's ass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I like I like the change up, like the fact they actually have a fight with his like stunt doubles and stuff in the movie. Yes, that's a, I that's did like the sp-
0: smoke break in in the comics.
1: Yeah, the fact that he like decks Scott and then it's like, all right, time out. Let's let's have a chat. Like that's a.
0: I just like. Do you want to go hang out? I have I have a cooler with goldfish crackers and Gatorade.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just this little throwaway line But it worked really well for the moment Just this giant brawny
1: dude And I think that's Brian Lee O'Malley Scott. Being like hey like these guys aren't really Like evil, evil. Yeah
0: it really kind of nails the informality Of the league as mm-hmm. far as the comics Go but yeah. let's see
1: uh, And then we're gonna get and Todd. Then Todd
0: who is So glossed over So he's really just pulled down To like his base essence of Vegan boyfriend, kind of dumb, dated Ramona.
1: I don't... And is dating Envy. In the comics, he's fleshed out a lot more. I always saw him as like the important one. The important ex to the story. Yeah,
0: because he also brings in that part for for Envy. Mm -hmm. Where Envy's like, Todd loves me. He punched a hole in the moon for me. And Ramona says, no, Envy. He did that for me first. Yeah. And Envy even gets to say, is that why there's two holes in the moon? (laughs) Yeah. Ah, so um, his arc is in like his character is important for Envy, for Ramona, for Scott. It just kind of involves a lot of different little plot the,
1: lines. Like a bit besides Gideon, he's the one that I'm like, this guy needs to get his ass kicked. This guy's like actually, yeah, especially in the comics. especially because he's cheating on Envy yeah. with the drummer. Mm-hmm. And that's not really done in which the movie. we don't we don't get in the movie. The most you get is like <laughs> the vegan police. Yeah,
0: yeah, which are great. There is so much, like when you look back and you're like, oh, they've taken lines and they've taken like little bits and pieces and just thrown them in the script wherever they can fit.
1: I feel like this volume is the one that had probably sold Edgar Wright on doing a movie. Because I bet the Todd section of the movie is the one that's like almost like shot for shot, line for line. At the very least, in the confrontation, you've got like the that's right, Scott. I know actually know how to play bass. Yeah. And yeah, like and that. you still
0: get all that. You still get Knives getting the highlights punched out of her hair yeah. by the drummer, who isn't really important in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. She does fade into the wall like a cool ninja. That is true.
0: But yeah, Todd's pretty glossed over. Very robbed.
1: Mm. I think like his main thing in the comics is that he's like his whole thing is, I'm a rock star. I can do what I want. Which is, it feels like a few too many ideas. Do you? Okay. Are you ready to talk about Roxy? Because you have been setting oh, me up man. for...
0: We got... There's a lot to unpack with Roxy. First, let's just talk about why the hell is her main thing that everyone's going to call Roxy fat?
2: Mm-hmm. She's People joking. call
0: Ramona fat. That's that's horrible. I, I hate that culture like a of the thousands.
2: I think it's just like a
0: different It was a different time. time.
1: Like what? The it was a different Allie time. McNeil, like, figure was the ideal. So,
0: number one, Roxy's very unfairly characterized as fat. <laughs>
1: She's also, like, characterized very heavily as, like, a jealous bitch. Yeah,
0: probably because Ramona doesn't consider her an actual ex. Probably Mm -hmm. because Ramona thinks that she had a silly phase. But Roxy's very much so like, no, dude, we were dating, you
2: loser.
1: Mm -hmm. I remember listening to the director-writer commentary for the movie, which had Mm -hmm. Brian Lee O'Malley on it, and Edgar Wright asked him, like, how did you come up with the idea of there being a a female ex? And Brian Lee O'Malley just said, I got it from Cliche. Like, I was sitting yeah. there trying to think of a character, and I was like, oh, hey, Cliche.
0: Yeah, because the key is the key for where we are, time and place, culturally, is the dumb poster on Scott's wall in his apartment. Of two women It's the kissing. Spencer's poster of two girls kissing on a bed. Mm-hmm. And Scott's line in the movie, you had a sexy phase.
1: Which he also says in the comic, TBH. He does say it in the TBF. comics.
0: Yeah, and so he, it's very much the novelty of it. We really saw, like, in the 90s and 1000s, it was, it became the cool girl thing to, like, be open to experimenting with your girlfriends and, like, giving credence to that weird-ass, like, slumber party legend And so there's a lot of that imbued in Roxy Richter. So
1: how much of like how much of that do you think is intentional on O'Malley's part? Like having it the weird thing having it framed as like a lot of it. Because I always read it as like Ramona being like, oh, it's just like a phase was like part of like explaining that no, she is also a a not good person. She's willing to write off this entire relationship she had in
0: college. Yeah, and I
1: do think there is there is a good deal of that. Because there is the line when Scott like is in need of a place to stay and he comes over and Roxy and Ramona are together. And then Ramona's yeah. like, she slept on the couch. We only made out a yeah. little. It,
0: ugh. There's so much going on there.
1: It's juxtaposed because this is also the book that has Lisa Miller and so sort of, it's juxtaposed yeah. in that way. They both crash on couches with their exes. And they're both
0: jealous. And But the whole thing is that then you realize, oh, like, Roxy and Ramona went to college together. They were roommates. She, like, taught her how to use subspace.
1: Yeah. None of that's it's, in the movie, really. Even though Mae Whitman as Roxy is great casting. She's terrific
0: as Roxy. And there's, like, nothing for her to do. They also do have the really weird weak spot. That they've transposed from another part of the plot.
1: Yes, like the the weak spot on the back of her knee. That was Envy's that weak was envy. spot that Scott's trying to tell Ramona about. In the movie, it's Roxy's weak spot that Ramona's telling him about. And it's kind yeah. of a weird Oh, the the straight guy made her come.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's it's ugh, it's, it's a, a lot. W-
1: also that also their fight in the movie is transposed from a bonus comic that Free American. comic
2: day
0: comic. Yeah. There's uh, there's so much there's so many good ideas behind Roxy Richter. I just find her execution to be a little sloppy in both mediums. Because mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of it is going to be people don't think that bisexual people actually exist. You gotta pick one. And yeah. also yeah, I think Ramona dismissing Roxy as like bi curiosity is showing that she is a flawed person. But in the movie, it's made even worse because Ramona already doesn't have a character. Yeah. So it's just like painting her entirely like we don't know whether or not to believe that at all. It could just be a joke.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What thoughts, if any, do you have about the Katyanagi twins?
0: Ah! Of all the robberies, like them in the books, there's something there. There's some substance there. Also, I guess it should be said there is no battle of the bands in the book.
1: Yeah, that's something they made up. The, for the plot the movie. of the
0: books is just yeah, it is just to give a convenient framing device for all the exes to appear in the movie. It makes a lot more sense over the course of a couple years in the books that as Sex Babom is just gigging around and they're just hanging out living life in Toronto, that they're going to occasionally run into Ramona's exes once in a while.
1: Yeah, because because they're actively seeking Scott yeah, out.
0: Yeah. And so they have they have substance in the books a little bit. Like I like the progression of robots that they send after Scott.
1: Mhm. Their their volume is also the first one I read. It so. is really
0: confusing that the decision to make the Karianagi twins not talk was based. I guess from what I've read, based on the actors not speaking English as a first language.
1: Yes, I remember that from the commentary. And that's a
0: bizarre choice to make. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm going to say, my number one beef with the movie are the bad wigs There's Mm. some bad wigs
1: Yeah, but I think the whole movie has this feel of, like, artificiality about it Yeah,
0: and it's weirdly executed to a point where a lot of Ramona's clothes are, like, bespoke costume items made for Mary Elizabeth Winstead And they feel very Mm costumey But on Michael Sarah, it's a t-shirt that you had custom printed, so it looks like a (laughs) t-shirt
1: Yeah, and I'll say this, I don't, I don't want to undermine, like, the movie, because, like, it is yeah. one of those movies that's real fun to, like, look at the production of, how, like, many yeah. blink-and-you'll-miss-it details there are Edgar Wright put yeah. in, like, the Nagi twins' amp goes up to 11, because they are 5 and 6, Lucas Lee grinds down 200 steps, like, 200 feet of rails, yeah, stuff like that, there are a ton of little There's details. There's so many
0: little details, it's a very right production
1: at one point, Scott's wearing a shirt that says Seven and a half and a Half" because he is like halfway to becoming the eighth evil. Max. I guess that's the
0: thing. W- what are your feelings on Nega Scott? Well,
1: do we want to talk about? Maybe we Gideon? should talk about Gideon. I am. Jason Schwartzman always seems like an asshole to me, <laughs> and I can't articulate. Oh no, why. I love him.
0: Oh no, I love him. I love him and so much. And maybe because
1: this was like my first real exposure to him as Gideon,
0: <gasps> not Rushmore.
1: But I think he sells the bit of Gideon perfectly because he gets that Gideon is a tech billionaire. He is, he is Elon Musk and Ramona is yeah. his primes.
2: Uh, <laughs>
0: Gideon would have been a crypto bro.
1: Yes, absolutely. He made his money selling emotional warfare. Yeah,
0: that's not in the movie at all. They, they literally make it a mind control chip, which is even creepier.
1: Yeah. So really, like, now that we're talking about Gideon, talking about, like, the finale differences. So,
0: Gideon's an abuser. Mm -hmm. This is known.
1: (laughs) Yes. And it's very much framed that his relationship with Ramona is one where, from her perspective, he kept pushing her away. Yeah. But the moment she was gone, he was all obsessed with her, got drunk one night, and posted a rant on Craigslist, and got contacted by the other six evil exes. Oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, the the drunken Craigslist ad works a lot better than, like, I went out and I found all of the exes to come after you to keep you from having more boyfriends. Again, like, it's...
1: it's incredibly possessive. Like even at that point in the in the comic, he's like in a relationship with Envy, but he even says like you're just a doll for me to dress yeah, up. Yeah,
0: like he's an actual creep, loser, asshole. Mm-hmm.
1: And then <laughs> in, in both iterations, very well translated. Again, the comic goes that extra step of having it be like there's the moment where Ramona's like you kept pushing me away, asshole. Like I was ready to go into this relationship, but you were just being creepy and distant and Gideon's like, what? No, I wasn't. And it's like, you get the same flashback camera as you get for Scott when he's like willfully forgetting. things. Yeah. Where
0: they're literally prancing through a field of flowers Mm -hmm. and Ramona's like, you're so cool. Yeah. And that's how Gideon remembers it. But it even goes an extra step further beyond that extra step. And you find out that he's not just pushing Ramona away so that she'll keep coming back. It's so that someday he'll be able to add her to his collection of exes that he keeps
1: cryogenically frozen under the chaos theater. That was always the weirdest bit of the comic for me because I never quite understood it. That Gideon has six, his previous six girlfriends, they have broken up with him, but he has cryogenically frozen them to rethaw at a point where they are ready to date him again.
0: Or, I mean, they just,
1: or he's maybe a serial a th- collector. Or maybe it's a thing of, like, they are not allowed to move past him. They are frozen in yeah. time, still in a relationship with yeah.
0: him. Yeah, what, what, whatever the reading may be, I always took it as this isn't the first time Gideon has done this to someone. He is a serial abuser and will continue to co- build his collection.
1: Yeah, how do you feel about when we see inside Ramona's head? So
0: that was supposed to be, like, the influence of Gideon. From what I understand. Again, like the glow is really weird. It's not well explained. It might be the weirdest executed element in the comics that Gideon uses emotional warfare to influence people.
1: The glow traps you in your head and only lets like your worst aspects come out. And I don't know, it's a really labored like metaphor. If at all. Yeah, it's
0: really, it's really (laughs) a multi-step process. And you can see that, yeah, Scott walks into Ramona's subspace and sees that, like, in her mind, she is subservient to Gideon. And it it really is clear of, like, she, they kind of sell it as she's really hung up on him. But to me, it just looks very clear of, I cannot escape this man. I literally cannot. My favorite. My favorite
1: thing is you named your cat after yeah, me. Yeah, I just
0: feel really bad for Ramona every time I think about it.
1: hmm And I've always seen it as, like, Gideon is the reason Ramona has this, like, mysterious reputation. She's—because mm-hmm. people who talk about her, like, oh, she's super intense, she's lived all these lives— And I'm sitting here being, again, being like, she's 23. She has maybe gone to, like, a handful of concerts and moshed in a mosh pit or something like that. But then when she defeats Gideon, then she just kind of becomes a normal person. He
0: has, from what we can glean in the comics, he's just taken all of her energy basically out of her. Mm Mm-hmm. She Like, he's exhausted her entirely. Her coldness is a response to how deep she got in being infatuated with Gideon and being hurt by that. And just everything she does, all these walls that she puts up around herself
1: that Scott has to keep pushing through and she keeps on
0: begging him to push through. Yeah,
1: I think, like, the message of the comics is, like, about breakups and relationships and how breakups can follow you around and influence your future relationships the movie doesn't really have that because it doesn't really dwell on Ramona's relationship with Gideon outside of he's got a brain control chip in me
0: it it really becomes an unfortunate reprioritizing of turning Ramona's trauma if i want to go there Mm -hmm. um into a obstacle for scott to beat
1: (laughs) yeah because gideon in the comics is framed as like the last hurdle like both physically and metaphorically to overcome to like you know it's the last bit of ramona's baggage and if scott can get over can help her get over gideon then they can like truly start to date
0: I think to illustrate the key difference in the mediums here is that the final swords that Scott gets, in the comics, it's pow- like it's the power of understanding. Yeah. And Ramona uses the power of love, and Scott uses the power of understanding and to defeat Gideon.
1: Yeah, and Gideon's like, you'll always be your own worst enemies. And Scott says, no, you're way worse, dude.
0: Yeah, and in the movie, it's the power of self-respect.
1: Yes, which I've never um, quite. And
0: that's supposed to be, because we never really touch on it very much. We never really, we never really dig into Scott's deadbeatness in the movie, like the the reason Detra for him being such a piece of garbage. Yeah, we never really dig into it. I think you're supposed to glean that Scott doesn't respect himself, so he dates knives so he cheats on her with Ramona
1: I think it's kind of a thing of like being a huge part of personal growth is believing that you are capable of personal growth yeah and like you know Scott's kind of one of those guys I have been one of those guys I have known those guys who are just like I you know I'm an asshole (laughs) haha like that's just my character trait you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I've known people who are like, oh, I, you know, I'm a guy who forgets to pay people back and things like that. Ugh. And it's Ugh. like, you know, it's like, oh, that's my character treat. I'm, I'm racist to everybody.
2: Oh. <laughs> and it's like,
1: you know, part of moving past that, part of growing is recognizing that you can be someone better. You can be different. Yeah. And that's really hard for people to imagine. It may be possible for yeah. you to imagine yourself like, Whatever, not smoking, thinner, whatever—really physical things. Yeah. But personality changes are so hard to comprehend because it means changing your whole worldview, and that's yeah, yeah. a huge and part. I, of I feel Scott's, like that
0: touches
1: on a huge part of Scott's revelation: is believing that he is capable of change. He is capable of being better, and that's kind of what the power of self-respect is, and power of understanding are supposed to represent. mm Hmm. Uh, T.B.H., it wasn't until this reread that I realized that, oh, the the sword he gets in the comics is the power of understanding. I always thought it was the power of self-respect. Yeah. Um,
0: But it really is like finding out that Gideon is not actually... Like, Gideon's not actually a good person. Gideon's not actually a decent person. He's actually a terrible person who's terrible at relationships and has to manipulate his way in and out of them.
1: And Scott sort of realizes that that's the moment he realizes... Like, I have been awful in all of my relationships. He has a flashback to yeah. every breakup he's had. Um, yeah. And he understands, like, no, this is who I could be. I need to be better. Yeah,
0: and even beyond that, like, it kind of touches on, again, that key difference of the endings is, like, the confrontation with Nega Scott happens before all of this in the comics. Mm-hmm. Like, Ramona's gone. She's with her dad. Scott goes into the woods. Yeah, with, with Kim. Kim. Has a Skywalker moment.
1: Yeah, well, he's he he tries to restart his relationship with Kim, and she's like, "No, you you were a dick to me. I'm not going to yeah. fall back on this."
0: Kim is reasonable. Yeah, and in confronting Negascott, Scott, who shows up in the movie as like a callback to an earlier gag, but in the comics, Negascott Scott really just represents these are all of your flaws. You literally have to accept them.
1: Yeah. I And
0: Scott absorbs Scott into himself and then starts getting his, like, starts getting his life together. Yeah.
1: I always read Scott as kind of like this, again, because it's all framed through Scott's perspective, that, like, yeah. you know, it's his last, like, defense mechanism against realizing that he's the asshole. It's being like, I can't have been the person who broke Kim's heart. It's got to be this mm-hmm. other evil Scott lurking behind a tree laughing evilly. <laughs> but
0: like he's literally there
1: yeah um, I love that and then he he has a fight and he's like once I defeat him like things can go back to normal but he doesn't defeat him he accepts him he accepts that he is the asshole yeah yeah Um, and you know the movie the movie doesn't have that but what the movie does have is probably my favorite punchline of just like oh we didn't have a fight it turns out we have a lot in common <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is actually, like, a really good way, like, for any of the nitpicks I have about truncating the plot, that's a that's a really decent one. Yeah. It's really good. It's really funny.
1: <laughs> Especially because it comes at a moment, like, Edgar Wright said this was intentional. When Negascott shows up, the audience feels exhausted. And they're like, you're yeah. not going to have another fight, are you? And it, it they don't. And they don't.
0: And they don't, which is great. I yeah. guess if we reached the end of the book in the series... Do you want to talk about where we've gone from there? Did you find anything in so, the community?
1: Looking around, it's like, what is Scott Pilgrim's greater impact? What is the fandom? And, you know, it's a lot of drawings of Kim Pine. Because right, I think right. I have never seen a fan base so universally decide best right. Um. You know, I tried looking around. Like I said, a lot of the issues were... Um, finding I was looking for forums and because yeah. this comic came out like so early in the 2000s any discussion was on a lot of forums that are defunct now and I can't get to even through the wayback machine so most of no. the forums i found talking about the comic were in relation to like hey there's a movie adaptation coming out so like volume 5 were already out i was trying to find oh, okay. like if there were people like discussing like speculations between comics and things like that i did find one thing of um Someone like on a forum trying to pitch the comic, and he says, <sighs> comparing it to the movie, and he says, mm-hmm. my issue is the main character ends up being less Scott Pilgrim, who I can best describe as hip Homer Simpson, and more well Michael <laughs> Sarah. Oh! Now the issue is: Do you
0: like Michael Sarah as Scott?
1: No. <laughs> I just think th- I just think the reads are all like kind of very off.
0: That's reasonable.
1: Now, can you refute? Can you refute? Scott Pilgrim is hip Homer Simpson. No. <laughs> I know, and that's what makes me mad about that statement. Nor will I try. Hip Homer Simpson. He is.
0: He is oblivious. He's a bit of a dick. Mm-hmm. He's still lovable at the end of the day somehow. Yeah, once he gets his shit
1: together. Um, and I combed through a lot of like one to three star reviews on Letterboxd. I saw a lot of people saying that this is like incel fiction or that the pinnacle events seldom. And I absolutely don't see that unless you have I don't a understand really that. I... surface level understanding of what like incel culture is. Someone
0: would really have to sell me on that.
1: I know, because, like... Really have to
0: sell me on that. I need some devil's advocate it's it's to like that, come
1: and tell me. Probably for the movie's sake, because it is, like, kind of one of those things yeah. where the, the the prize is the woman. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. In the comics, it's phrased more, almost like, Scott and Ramona wind up together because no one else will have them. Mm-hmm. But they're both going to try to be better, and that's the note it ends on.
0: There's one quote I love so much in an interview I found. It looks like Anime News Network asked O'Malley, "Why, why is Scott?"
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and he basically explains that he based Scott off of like Shonen, yeah, animes, and like, oh, well, they're really dumb and hard headed to begin with, and then they learn valuable life lessons as they progress.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I love that, but also at the same time, I'm thinking, Brian, this is a man in his 20s. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I you, you definitely, I do remember like in seeing memes that are like the greatest life lesson I ever learned. All the great life lessons I learned were from Goku. <laughs> uh, um, I don't want to read the full thing, but the one letterboxed I sent you where the person is like... Mario is not obscure. Mario is not tasteful. <laughs> and t- I loved that one This so movie much. erases alternative gamer identities. <laughs> Do you think the movie's too gamery? I think it's just gamery enough, because that's what the, yeah. the comic is. Thank God. Okay, that's pretty much where I am. Yeah, like...
0: <sighs> oh, oh, oh. I guess I was going to ask... For other work, did you did, did you read Lost at Sea, Brian Lee O'Malley's no, first book? No, I tried
1: to find it, but it wasn't available at any of my local bookstores. I read Seconds. <gasps> okay, how was Seconds? Seconds is definitely, like, you can tell Brian Lee O'Malley has, like, grown up. And now he's, like, writing okay. about different experiences. The main character of Seconds is 29. Okay. okay and I was okay. like, yes, slightly older than me.
0: <laughs> you have something to look forward to.
1: And it's about a much more, like grown it's it's about finding determining where you're gonna be in your 30s whereas scott pilgrim is about like finding out who you are in your 20s exactly um it's a very it's like one volume it's like not an ongoing thing it is a complete story um much like scott pilgrim it kind of like feel leaves me with a like a that feeling of, like, bittersweet, I'm not going to fully understand this until I have lived this. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I, I recommend Seconds. Seconds is also getting a movie okay. adaptation. Ooh. Brian, uh, not Ed- Brian Lee O'Malley. Edgar Wright is writing the script. It's going to be directed by Blake Lively. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Okay, As okay. That's her
1: directorial debut. I
0: guess uh, that does give me something else to look at. to. Scott and Ramona do second. appear
1: in Seconds. They're in the background having a double date with steven and joseph speaking
0: of background Uh uh-huh and steven and joseph okay you um tasked me with looking for fix and um i was wondering i got very
1: distracted i was wondering which evil x is most like redeemed by the fan base
0: oh none they don't care (laughs) okay (laughs) they don't care as far as ao 3 goes um, because right after, like I always sort by kudos, you can give, you can give kudos on AO3
2: mm-hmm.
0: And top kudos for the fandom is um, something Yandere Toon's ex-reader had canons and scenarios What are these words it you has just like said to me? 277,000 words, 162 sections what? Yandere sit like just scenarios with with like, like with a reader facsimile. and like let me let me so just it's, wander over yonder. Has been hotel, sing.
1: So the idea is it's like reader slash character fix, but it's all the character is being a yandere. Yeah. And they have yeah. one for which Scott Pilgrim girl is it knives.
0: It's just Scott being a yandere, which is a terrible Scott's character Scott's the yandere,
1: huh? Yeah, I can't see that really. Yeah,
0: and that's my huge thing is that a lot of these fics that I did find really do not understand Scott as a man. Mm-hmm. But the best fic that I found in here literally is—it's called "Listen to Bands That Don't Even Exist Yet." It was written in 2010.
1: I like the—I like that title, and
0: it's. 10,000 words of just how did Stephen and Joseph end up together?
2: <laughs> okay. and it's this, gr-
0: And it's written so well, they actually stylize it so that Joseph just, he speaks in tiny font. Yeah. And everything is so perfect. They have like headers that O'Malley probably would have used if this was explored. They have their first kiss watching Die Hard. I buy that. It's, Over Christmas. Mm -hmm. They have a whole thing where, like, Julie is really confused. Like, we've literally been dating off and on for four years and you're suddenly gay. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Stills is just having a full panic about this. Like, no, literally, I'm not gay. And the author has written Joseph as knowing he was gay since he was, like, eight years old. Yeah. And so this whole, like, imposter syndrome. And finally, Kim is, like, the winner of the whole fic where she sits, like, he comes and visits her at the video store that Kim works at, that is never shown in the movie,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and is like, what would you do if I was gay? And finally, finally, Kim is like, you do know that none of us would care, right?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. And she's the voice of reason that pushes Steven Stills to go chase after Joseph, their music producer friend. And it's so great. Like, literally, it just ends with scott getting into the fight with the katiyanagi twins Mm. where they're making the band with like their friend cole in the background yeah it's a canon compliant fic
1: i like i like this i like the sounds of this it's so cute it was actually
0: cute and that was something that was really surprising to me
1: yeah Like, I was going to say, the only other thing I've really noticed as a trend is people, like, redrawing Scott Pilgrim, like, panels, but having different characters. Yeah. Like, I've seen a lot of, like, Mary Jane Watson and Peter Parker as Scott and Ramona. Like, she's, her saying, you're the nicest guy I've ever dated, and him replying, that's kind of sad. That's really
0: sad. (laughs) It's just, again, my huge thing, and I think what the impetus of, of this episode was... Was really weird readings. Just like... <laughs> really weird surface <sighs> readings of, of Scott Pilgrim as a as a property.
1: Yeah, it's like when I see all these, like, incel, like, takes. Like, oh, this is... Scott Pilgrim is the ultimate incel. And things like that. Or this movie, like, promotes, like, toxic masculinity and stuff. I'm just kind of like... I feel the same way as... Did you ever watch Tiger King? No. Okay, I I refused. I did, and I was very confused (laughs) when I saw these takes. Like, this is glorifying Joe Exotic. It's painting him as a hero. And I'm like, did we watch the same show? I don't know how you see the filmmakers using footage of Joe Exotic beating Tiger Cubs with a pole and saying this makes him look good. This makes him the good guy.
0: I have a feeling it's like the people who think that Martin Scorsese fully endorses gangster life.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's just like we're, um, we're in this Which
0: isn't which isn't one hundred percent wrong. Yeah. But I think I think there there's more gray space here than than we think.
1: Yeah. We're we're just in this weird period where um sort of pseudo purity politics are really in right now where yeah. any character that has a problem ma- problematic element is an admission of endorsement from the author yeah and it's like no no sweetie that's a character trait that's like that's a thing that's going to be resolved um (laughs) like you know i don't want to lecture tweens on tiktok but it's definitely a case of like you know try to you got to try and read things if you go into reading scott pilgrim hearing that it's like this boy savior movie like oh i fight and yeah. get the girl you're gonna you're yeah. absolutely gonna read it that yeah
0: way. yeah that's true <laughs> things have to have nuance
1: yeah and definitely part of the issue is like the surface level fan base around the movies and comics are very like this is the ultimate gamer story like, I saw a lot of, like, when I was trying to find nuanced takes, I kept running into things like, this movie is the most epic of movies ever, and things like Ow. that, and a lot of takes like I felt that.
0: the 2010s in that sentence. I
1: definitely remember an IGN article before the movie came out that was, like, our top ten, like, favorite gamer references in the comic, and it's, like, the most Ugh. innocuous things, it's, like... Scott getting, chaos theater no it's like scott getting asked like are you and ramona an item and him thinking of like mario power-ups and it's like Ugh. that's a that's a top 10 gamer reference Ugh. it's like at the time i was probably like oh yeah this is what the comic is it's yeah. just references but now i'm like older and i'm like no that's just kind of like one brian leo O'Malley's writing style but also just like it's not. It's not what the. Game, it's not what the book's about. You know.
0: Yeah, it's not what the book's about. The book's about a lot more. Um, the movie. The movie also could be about a lot more. It's just that um, there's a lot of very pretty, very pretty set dressing. Yeah,
1: the movie is definitely for me like more and more just style over substance. Mm-hmm. And I think just you know like I've I've continually said the older I get the more I appreciate the substance of the comics. Ergo, yeah. I am disappointed by that take for the movie
0: yeah yeah i think i can see that
1: so kind of the other impetus for this episode was that netflix almost a year ago announced that they are doing a scott pilgrim anime series um and nothing has come of it yet it's being produced by edgar wright and brian Leomalley's writing for it and various okay. things um i actually have missed this somehow <clears throat> well because it was announced and then nothing has come of it because that's what that's okay. what netflix does and so the question we're going to conclude on is how does scott pilgrim something so ingrained to mid 2000s yeah stay relevant and modern two decades later <sighs> So one thing I'll say about the, this anime adaptation that I didn't realize until looking into the production is that this is going to be made by Science Seru um, Studios. Are you familiar with them? Just, like, at name no. value? Uh, they are an anime no. studio founded by Masaki Uwasa, who you may know okay. for doing the Food Chain episode of Adventure Time. Oh. He animated that. He also animated and directed one of my favorite movies, Night is Short, Walk-On Girl.
2: The studio
1: oh. also did Netflix's Devilman Crybaby, Ping Pong the Animation, Ooh. Tatami Galaxy. Okay. Keep your hands okay, off Okay, so the guy's got creds.
0: Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, keep your hands I, off I Izuken, which is, news. like,
1: one of the best animes of the last couple of years. Um, But, like, so seeing that immediately made me excited. Yeah. Um. But, like I said, nothing else has come of it. Like no casting, no like promotional images. So this is our point to speculate. How do you think you hear- the story is going to change? My assumption is that they're probably gonna do it all in one season. Does that seem mm-hmm. off base? Like I'm thinking No, 13, that seems right thirteen episodes, two episodes of volume, and then like maybe an extra one to fit in some like in between. No, volume. that sounds right. I've seen other people that are like doing 10 episodes of volume. And it's like, guys, these books are ultimately pretty damn short.
0: Yeah. There's, there's honestly a lot of it's dedicated to, um, there's a good amount of the books that are dedicated to scenery. Yeah. Set like just establishing shots. a lot of that. Like you get a lot of atmosphere in the books. So that takes up a good chunk of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What I'm really hoping is that because we are having such a revival We are having such a renaissance of rediscovering and glorifying and romanticizing Mm mid-2000s. Like, we did Y2K. We're working our way through the mid-1000s. We're starting to see 2010s come up in trend cycles. Yeah, Capitalize on that. Use it as a springboard to wink at the things that may be weird or, like, might give people the ick.
1: I think, like, the first, the immediate thing my mind comes to is just... Chains Knives Chow to a college freshman. Yeah, make her 18 in college. Almost, like, very little of value is lost. The most you get is losing that admittedly intentionally creepy moment where Scott learns she's 18 and is like, hey, do you want to have casual sex?
0: Yeah, which is a hilariously horrifying moment that they do do in the comics because it is clear that Knives has... She has developed enough of her frontal core of her brain yeah. to understand that, no, she's not interested in Scott anymore. She doesn't need him.
1: Yeah, the context, that happens in the very last volume, and it's kind like, of the like, last it volume. is absolutely it's her closure as Scott's low point.
0: Yeah, like Scott is trying, and Knives is moving on, yeah. rightfully.
1: So I think just making her 18, you immediately wash aside a lot of people's issues, yeah. Um, like, surface-level issues. I think... Yeah. Do you see anything... Because this is being produced and written by Brian Lee O'Malley, and he has always said, like, there are issues I have with the story, particularly the, the endings not being as fleshed out as I want. Like, he's always said his explanation with the glow has come across as half-assed. Mm-hmm. Do you see them, I like, think a
0: lot of that is going to take influence from the right adaptation. Mm-hmm. I think we might end up seeing more brain chippy things or we might end up seeing very clear allusions to the glow as early as like episode two.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't think this is going to be a very faithful. Well, not wholly. It's hard to say
0: more faithful than the
1: movie. Like,
0: I think it's going to be one of those adaptations that has now circled back and is going to reincorporate the very famous adaptation. Not Mm. unlike Hairspray, not unlike the producers.
1: Yeah. Like the litmus test is definitely going to be will it have Lisa Miller and how much of a will role Will it have Lisa? Is yeah. she going to have?
0: Yeah. Like how big of a role is Todd going to be? Like how pivotal is his is his confrontation going to be? Did the Katya Nagi twins get anything to do because they also have this part that because the Cady Nagi twins don't talk in the movie? We don't get them influencing Ramona into falling back from her progress.
1: Yeah, because there is like like that where they moment. are
0: actively, they're actively trying to pull her back to Gideon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do- I, I I I'm interested. I'm interested in a in a in an anime adaptation of Scott Pilgrim. I, I, more than anything, I just want to know how it would be. Do
1: you adapted. think they're going to move like the time frame up? as far as setting? Do you or... think they're gonna like it's gonna be modern? No,
0: not at all. Again, the thousands are having a huge revitalization. Mm-hmm. We gotta capitalize on that while we can and make it hip for the kids. It's also kind um, of the one kids want to see flip phones.
1: It's one of those stories that doesn't really work if people have smartphones and are in nope. constant contact. Yeah, there are there are entire sections of multiple volumes where Scott's just like playing phone tag with people because they don't have caller ID. Yeah.
0: And then, like, literally people making calls from payphones. Like, it is a whole thing. You have to have people rely on phones.
1: Mm-hmm. Landlines. Um, since, like, I swear this is not, like, a whole thing for me, but I think it is something interesting to speculate about. Mm-hmm. Especially with some very recent high-profile, ad- like, streaming adaptations. Do you see them diversifying the cast? I
0: think that depends on who. I think mm-hmm. it depends on who that would be. Mm-hmm. I don't see them realistically doing it to Scott and Ramona. No. I could see it realistically happening, possibly, to some of the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. But I do not... Again, when you see when you say Canada, a lot of Americans still really, like, lean on the homogenous idea of Canada in our eyes because we're stupid. Mm-hmm. Um... Again, Canada propaganda is very effective and very strong. Yes. Um, so we are... I, I don't see them realistically getting anybody. I. If we see the Happy Avocado, we will get to actually see people of color. Mm-hmm. The place where Stephen Stills works.
1: <laughs> yeah, because that was something I noticed in seconds, is that Brian mm-hmm. Lee O'Malley kind of made it almost a point to make that cast very diverse. So if this is something where he's, like, going back with, like, you know trying to correct issues he's made because brian leo O'Malley like puts his money where his mouth his mouth is when it comes to like being an ally about things
0: yeah yeah but no i think already again we've already talked so much about what representation there is in mm-hmm. the books i think we are going to see that really we're just going to more than likely an adaptation is going to just lean into those representations and make them more make them more
1: positive yeah. Do you see this having a high profile cast? That
0: is hard to say. That is really hard to say. I think they're going to try and get a couple of like celebrities for I could
1: I could see them like getting celebrities for The Evil Exes. That would
0: be good. That would be the smart play, honestly.
1: Get get Dev Patel to play Matthew Patel. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, just for that.
0: But it has to be just keep them I think that's the play that we're kind of learning is like don't make it we don't have to pin the celebrity to the property for it to make for it to work
1: I mean Netflix definitely sees that yeah
0: and I trust Netflix a little bit more on this one at least at least as long as far as their animes have gone yeah
1: because you've got stuff like the Castlevania anime and Mm -hmm. things like that like it the fact that we've gotten nothing after a year has made me a little bit suspicious about production. Yeah, Um, My
0: fear is that they're going to be getting a lot of clearances.
2: Oh, for
1: like soundtracks
0: on likeness on references to video games and music and Mm. movies. I think a lot of references are going to be made because again, we kind of um, flanderize Scott Pilgrim into being reference material. Mm hmm. And so I think a lot of it, It my worst case scenario is that it's getting tied up in legal issues, trying to clear a lot of clear, a lot of permissions.
1: Yeah. Definitely learning that it's being made by science. Seru put me like had a lot more faith. Um, it, uh, like I said, they did an adaptation of a, uh, Tatami Tommy galaxy. And if you've ever read that, that is very like Scott Pilgrim equivalent, just shifted to from Canada to Japan. Mm-hmm. And so that that gave me a lot of faith that this will be um, at least faithful to the tone and intent more so than the movie did. I think so. So as we're winding down here, do you have final thoughts? Honestly, I found this to be a really, um, as an overall experiment of going back down
0: memory lane, um, this has been really rewarding as far as reading the material and watching the material just as a fully developed adult.
1: Yeah, it's why it's definitely a certain of being like you know, cuz you want to feel you want to believe that your interests when you were in high school were all cringe. Yeah, as a, yeah, as a form yeah. of security. And being like no. No, my interests weren't cringe. I was cringe.
0: Exactly. There's a lot of healing going on there. Mhm. Um it it did it did bring me right back to being being that teenager, being that kid, being insecure, figuring stuff out, and it made me feel so much better about my trajectory over time. Yeah. And I hope a lot of people who do revisit, who decide to revisit the property can get to can get to look back on that as well.
1: Yeah. Like I said, it just really shot me back to specifically sophomore year because I would um I would bring the volumes I had backstage when I was doing a school play and I would Ugh. let like the upperclassmen read them. And they were so thankful. Um, but just, like, you know... I love that. Uh, I I keep... Well, I'm probably... Because of this, I'm probably going to bite the bullet and buy, like, the full color collections. Oh, do it. Um, but one of the things I like about the original volumes is that Brian Lee O'Malley, like, hides so many things in, like, the... Like, the, the disclaimers at the very start, mm-hmm. he'll say, like, you know, no no resemblance to actual ninjas living or dead is, like, entirely coincidental or things <laughs> like that. Or, or um, you know, at the very back, his, like, little music recommendations, like, this is the yeah. mixtape I listened to when writing this. Like, you know, again, it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, the first time I felt like I was really... For lack of a better word, developing like a parasocial relationship with an author. Oof. Yeah. But being like yeah, it w- those really personal touches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wish Brian Lee O'Malley the best. Uh, he's working yeah. on a new a new comic. He's actually got an ongoing one. I I need to read Snot Girl. Which, Ooh, that's right. Which he's written, but he doesn't draw. But I right, hear that. Right, right. I've heard this. I hear that. Um. You may like it. It makes up for the uh, the bi erasure yes, by erasure. Woo! Yes, that does
0: sound right up my alley. By then.
1: having actual actual gay protagonists. I love it.
0: All right. Well, I feel good, Murph. How
1: do you feel? I feel good. If you if you want to hear me more being good, uh, you can listen to my other podcast, the Daydream Cast, where. Uh, every two weeks we talk about a different video game of the week along with like things we're playing and various and such trends and such uh, next episode by the time this comes out we will be working on an episode on Dead Space the original but the one before this Ooh. is on the classic Sierra game uh, King's Quest 6 air today, ah, gone tomorrow I have heard of this and Fru do you have anything to promote? Uh, we've got a Tumblr we do
0: have a Tumblr now because that makes the most sense. You gotta go where you gotta go where the weird is. It is the Mavic. And We're going where the weird is. It, it yeah it it tracks. This is um a well advised move from our PR team.
1: A few more uh, Fru Explains TikToks and I'll be able to start up the uh, this podcast. This TikTok is a bad idea.
0: Exactly. And then I'm going to start you do not know what you're unleashing here. It's going to be a whole problem. It's going to be an entire dossier in the FBI drawers. It's going to be great. I
1: don't, okay, you've kind of you've you've talked me out Dang of it. Dang it.
0: <laughs> What's uh let's see we're, we're part of a whole we're part of a whole family a whole family a feel-good family of podcasts yep on the, over twin, at geeks, the twin geeks you can also join that the, you can uh, check out the twin geeks discord and go hang out with the other geeks
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: and, and what do you think is coming what What do you think is coming down the pipeline apparently i'm not allowed to
1: have tiktok dreams on the... what what do you
0: see in our future
1: In our future uh you know we kind of play it by ear we need to uh in, in March, the holiday is St. Patrick's Day, so we'll find something appropriate for that. Join
0: us for our, um, March Madness bracket
1: of, um,
0: cereal mascots.
1: I don't, is, you've, Fru, I've never, <laughs> I've never liked cereal.
2: <laughs> you don't like cereal? Yeah. <laughs> you so much cereal as a, as a concept? <laughs>
1: I've never liked cereal. I don't like cereal. I don't like soup. I don't like oatmeal. You don't like soup. If it's like the texture of vomit, I don't like it. What is this? Okay.
0: Join us next time where we unpack this whole mess.
1: <laughs> Have a good one, listener. Go, Go do some self-healing. Go have some soup. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop recording now. I'm going to stop it <laughs>